Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A land drenched in warm sun, a land swept by tropical breezes laced with fragrances from a wide variety of grasses, trees, plants and the spices they produce. A land whose extensive shores are washed by mildly sorted seas that invigorate both body and soul. This is the description of Crimea by Paul Robert Magoski in his book This Blessed Land, Crimea and the Crimean Tartars. With the shape of an irregular quadrangle, Crimea is a peninsula on the north coast of the Black Sea, connected to the Ukrainian mainland by a narrow strip of land called an isthmus. Often described as a jewel because of its great beauty and because of the way it almost seems to hang like a pendant from the mainland in the Black Sea, Crimea has for over 3,000 years attracted numerous groups of peoples. Since the Bronze Age, populations who raised the first burial mounds, then the Sumerians, and then the Scythians, Crimea has been the destination of numerous different groups. Goths and Russians from the north, Huns, Mongols and Tartars from the east, as well as Greeks and Latins from the south. The peninsula's long and varied history would suggest that it is folly to think that its ownership by any one group is for all time, or somehow the result of some kind of either divine or manifest destiny. Welcome to a history of Europe, key battles, the siege of Kazan of 988, part two of five. The Crimean Peninsula measures 25,900 square kilometres, or 10,100 square miles, about the size of Maryland in the United States or the country of Macedonia in Europe. It is comprised of three distinct zones, a steppe-like lowland plain in the north, mountains in the southeast and a coastal shoreline. The far eastern extension of the first zone, the northern lowland plain, is the Kirsch Peninsula, which culminates at the Straits of Kirsch, another body of water that connects the Sea of Azov to the Black Sea. On the other side of the strait is the Taman Peninsula, on the Russian mainland. The southern third of Crimea, its second zone, comprises foothills and mountains. The highest mountain range, known as the Yaila, 
runs along the coast and is noted for its several table-like massives, punctuated by a few rugged peaks. The Yaira Range forms a wall of cliffs which face the Black Sea and protect Crimea's third geographic zone, the coastline. This narrow strip of land which stretches along Crimea's southern coast is the location of several popular resort towns, most notably Yalta, as well as several port cities such as Sevastopol, Sudak and Feodosia. Like the Mediterranean, of which it is in a way an extension, this coastal strip is blessed with a mild winter and almost subtropical conditions in the long rainless summers, making it over the years a popular holiday resort, not only for the general population, but also in history for the ruling elites such as the Russian Tsars and then Soviet leaders. The list of people who have made the peninsula their home is remarkable. Mogoski writes how, quote, virtually every linguistic and cultural group in Asia have left their mark, beginning with the Taurians, Scythians, Greeks, Sarmatian Alans and Romans of antiquity, and continuing in medieval times with Byzantine Greeks, Goths, Khazars, Kipchaks, Mongols, Tartars, Seljuk and Ottoman Turks, Genoese, Venetians, Armenians, Crimean Jews, Greeks, Bulgarians and Germans, and in more modern times, Russians and Ukrainians. End quote. Between the 7th and 5th centuries BC, several prosperous Greek cities came into being along the shores of the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov, including in Crimea. At first they were politically dependent on the mother city from where their founders had originated, but over time generally became more independent. Three of the largest and most successful were in Crimea. Panticapeum, near the Straits of Kersh, Theodosia, on the site of present-day Theodosia, and Kizonesis, or Kerzon, near the modern-day city of Sevastopol. Their prosperity depended on good relations with the local population of the Pontic Steppes in today's Ukraine, which at the time were the Scythians, a conglomeration of tribes of Iranian origin. In about the year 480 BC, the Greek cities near the Straits of Kersh began to unite under leadership of the city of Panticapeum in what became known as the Bosporan Kingdom. Named for its location as the Bosporus between the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea, it flourished as a centre of grain trade, fishing, winemaking and small-scale artisan craftsmanship, especially metalworking. The profit from this trade supported a class whose conspicuous wealth is still visible from archaeological finds, some examples of which are now preserved in the Hermitage Museum in St Petersburg. These include goldwork, pottery and textiles, as well as several series of coins. However, from the 3rd century BC, the stability and prosperity which the northern Black Sea region had enjoyed for centuries came under threat. One factor, according to Sergei Plochy in his book The Gates of Europe, A History of Ukraine, was the emergence of new suppliers of agricultural produce to the Mediterranean markets. Grain was now coming from Egypt and the Middle East, along trade routes secured first by the conquests of Alexander the Great and then the growing power of Rome. The other main problem was the arrival of a new nomadic tribe from Central Asia, the Sarmatians.
the Scythian leaders were forced to flee and to consolidate their rule over a much smaller region, based in northern Crimea. And in around 107 BC, the Bosporan kingdom, for years weakened by attacks from the Sarmatians, was annexed by a rival power called the Pontic Kingdom, based on the southern coast of the Black Sea. The greatest ruler of that kingdom was Mithridates VI, or Mithridates the Great, who for several years fought a series of wars against the Roman Republic, until he was finally defeated by Pompey the Great in 66 BC. Seventeen years later, in 49 BC, Julius Caesar completed the conquest of the Pontic Kingdom. He quickly defeated the son of Mithridates in a campaign, which the great general famously dismissed with the comment, Veni, Vidi, Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. At its height, the Roman Empire included more than half the Black Sea's coastline, from the Dniester River in the northwest, Anticoclides through Thrace and Asia Minor, all the way to the Caucasus in the east. Although on the periphery of her interests, Rome succeeded in largely restoring peace and prosperity to the Black Sea. From the 3rd century AD, however, there began another period of instability, characterised by waves of new nomadic warrior tribes who were more interested in plundering the Black Sea coastal cities than trading with them. The first group to arrive in the four centuries of strife between 250 and 650 AD came not from Central Asia but from the north. Believed to have originated from what is today southern Sweden, the Goths moved into the Pontic steppe region towards the end of the second century AD when they came into contact with the Roman world along the northern shores of the Black Sea. The Goths had by this time split into two branches. Those tribes who moved westward into the Roman Empire came to be known as Visigoths, while those who remained in Ukraine became known as Ostrogoths, or East Goths. Ostrogothic rule in southern Ukraine and Crimea expanded over the next century or so, reaching its apogee in the reign of King Emanuric, reigned 350 to 375. Towards the end of Emanuric's reign, however, a new nomadic people arrived from Central Asia the Huns. These fierce warriors easily subjected the Ostrogoths for about a century dominated the entire steppe region from the Caspian Sea to the heart of Europe. The majority of the Ostrogoths were forced to join the Hunnish military ranks as they attacked the Roman Empire, although a few were able to take refuge in the mountainous country of Crimea. The Crimean Goths, as they came to be known, maintained good relations with the Romans, or what was by now the East Roman or Byzantine Empire. This friendship was cemented by the Goths' conversion to Christianity in the 4th century. The Byzantines helped build their allies a number of fortified so-called cave towns on the tops of mountain cliffs. In return, the Goths acted as a protective shield for the Greco-Byzantine cities along the coast against further invasions from the north. The Byzantine or East Roman Empire reached its greatest territorial extent and political influence during the 6th century reign of Emperor Justinian, reign 527 to 565. Under Justinian, the Black Sea coastal cities received Byzantine garrisons and their walls were fortified. The most important of these cities was Chersonesus. Named after the Greek word for peninsula, it became the region's administrative and religious centre, 
and the site of no less than ten churches. The coastal cities, as centres of trade, commerce and Byzantine Orthodox Christian culture, remained attractive to new waves of Greek settlement. This was especially the case in the 7th and 8th centuries, during the period of iconoclasm, when a series of Byzantine emperors banned icons in the belief that their veneration was a deviation from the path of the true faith, and had angered their god. Religious and political dissidents, many of whom were attempting to protect their beloved icons, sought refuge in the empire's peripheral regions such as Crimea, and founded several monasteries and hermitages to practice what they believed was the true faith, without interference from the state. While Crimea was within the political and cultural sphere of Byzantium, the steppe hinterland continued to experience periodic incursions at different times by a whole host of mostly Turkic-speaking nomadic peoples from the east. Avars, Bulgars, Magyars, Pechenegs and Khazars. Many of these groups did not remain in the region for long, either passing through on their way westward or dispersing to other areas. The reasons were a combination of pressures from local rival tribes and the search for the richer sources of booty to be found along the borders of the Roman Empire in Central Europe or along the trade routes around the Black and Caspian Seas. The Avars, for example, were a confederation of nomadic peoples from Central Asia who in some ways can be seen as successors of the Huns. Between 550 and 575, these mounted warriors established themselves in the Pannonian Plain, also known as the Carpathian Basin, the location of modern-day Hungary, where they built a powerful empire by subjecting by force the local people to their rule. In the year 626, they were confident enough to assist the Persians in a siege of Constantinople, but in the next decades their power declined. As for the Bulgars, they were a Turkic-speaking group of tribes who in the 7th century flourished in the region northeast of the Black Sea and northwest of the Caspian, but under pressure from the neighbours broke into different groups. Some migrated to the Balkans where, while assimilating with the local Slavs, they established a kingdom that became the embryo state of modern-day Bulgaria. Others migrated to the middle Volga Basin, where they maintained their identity and created a separate state, Volga Bulgaria, which was an important regional power until at least the 13th century. The Magyars, also called the Hungarians, were another tribe who originated in the steppes of Asia but migrated westward and in the 9th century established a homeland in the Pannonian Plain, where they established a regional power that evolved over many centuries into the modern state of Hungary. Their reason for leaving the Pontic steppe was that they suffered attacks from another people who had also migrated from Central Asia, the Pechenegs. Until the year 1091, when their army was annihilated by the Byzantine army of Alexius I, the Pechenegs were probably the most powerful steppe tribe of the northern Black Sea region. The arrival in the late 6th century of another tribe, the Khazars, proved to be of great significance for developments in Eastern Europe. Like most of their predecessors during the previous three centuries, the Khazars originated from Central Asia, but unlike the others, they preferred diplomacy to war. In the year 626, soon after settling between the Black and Caspian Seas, they signed a treaty with the Byzantines, who welcomed the seeming willingness of the newcomers to help protect their north-eastern frontier. 
According to Magoski, the Khazars continued the tradition established by the Scythians, whereby nomads from the east gained control over the steppe population of the steppe hinterlands. Kept in line, recalcitrant nomadic tribes protected trade routes and fostered commercial contacts with the Greco-Roman Byzantine cities along the Black Sea, restoring the old-age symbiotic relationship between the coast and steppe regions. From their capital city of Itil, near the mouth of the river Volga, Khazar power was concentrated in the region north of the Caucasus and between the Black and Caspian Seas, an area bordered by the Lower Don, Lower Volga and the Kuban and Terek rivers. Their influence, however, was felt far beyond this area. By the early 9th century, several East Slavic tribes to the west and also many other peoples, including the Volga Bulgars in the north, were all under the hegemony of the Khazar Khaganate. Within this vast territory were to be found some of the most lucrative trade routes in the world, especially the north-western branch of the ancient Silk Route from China. From Italy, the Khazars traded either southward across the Caspian Sea to Baghdad and the Middle East, or westward along the River Don and across the Black Sea to Byzantium. Their cities along the Volga and Don were major emporia, where merchants from across Europe and Eurasia met to exchange salt, wax, fur, leather, honey and slaves. Our sources for the Khazars are unfortunately extremely scarce. In part, we have to rely on the works of Arab travellers, such as Ibn Fadland, who visited the Khazar domains in the early 10th century. He wrote about bands of Norsemen who had journeyed down river routes all the way from the Baltic Sea in order to trade there. The respected status of the rulers of the Khazar Khaganate is attested by a later Muslim chronicler, who related that the Persian Shah placed three thrones by his own one for the king of China, a second for the king of Byzantium, and a third for the king of the Khazars. During the 7th and 8th centuries, the Khazars fought a series of major wars against the Umayyad Caliphate and its Abbasid successor. Over the decades, fortunes fluctuated for both sides around the common borders in the Caucasus Mountains, but neither side could make a significant breakthrough. Because the Khazars were able to block the Arabs from expanding into Eastern Europe in a period of great Muslim expansion elsewhere, they are sometimes compared to Charles Martel and the Franks, who defeated a Muslim army in the Battle of Tours in 732, as described in an earlier podcast. The Khazars were renowned for their great tolerance of other faiths, and at some point in the mid-8th century, the Khazar nobility chose an unusual direction for their own personal beliefs. They converted to Judaism. The story goes that the Khazar leader, Khan Bulan, wishing to take on formal religious training, summoned learned men from among the Byzantines, Arabs and Jews, and asked them to debate the relative merits of their faiths. The discussion got very heated, and Bulan asked the Christian and Muslim representatives which of the two other religions was preferable. When both agreed that if forced to do so, they would prefer Judaism, this convinced Bulan to announce that the Khazars, or at least their leaders, were now to become Jews. The real reason is likely to be more political, perhaps a mark of independence from the influence of their Muslim or Christian neighbours, but the sources are too scant to say for sure. 
The Khans of Khazaria enjoyed much better relations with the Byzantine Empire than with the Arabs. The only potential threat to peaceful ties was Crimea, which the two sides disputed. But this did not seriously affect their relationship, nor the establishment of marriage ties. As an example, the Byzantine Emperor Justinian II, having been deposed and exiled to Kherson in Crimea in 695, married the sister of the local Khazar governor as part of a strategic alliance. Justinian was then able to return to power in Constantinople for the second part of his reign. And decades later, Emperor Leo III, ruled 717 to 741, made a similar alliance to coordinate strategy against the Arabs. He sent an embassy to Caesarea and married his son, the future Constantine V, ruled 741 to 775, to the Khan's daughter. The couple's son, the future Leo IV, 775 to 780, therefore bore the sobriquet, the Khazar. The Khazars are important because for two centuries, from about 650 to 850, their state fostered stability within a wide region, one surrounded by several cultures between the Black Sea, Caspian Sea and the Caucasus Mountains. The various nomadic tribes and federations of people of the region found it more advantageous during this period to trade and live in peace than to provoke war and conflict. Among those people who benefited were a group of sedentary people who inhabited the area in and just beyond the north-western edge of the Khazar sphere of influence, a people who would soon come to dominate the region. The Slavs The exciting news this week is that A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast, now has its own Twitter account. And this week I sent my first ever tweet to announce its creation. I hope you can follow it at History Europe KB. I also hope you can check out the podcast page on Facebook or its blog site at www.historyeurope.net. Best of all, if you like the show, it would be fantastic if you give it a review on iTunes. You've been listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles. Join me next week for the arrival of the Slavs and also the Vikings into the region north of the Black Sea. Until then, have a great week and goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.